Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to customerswhoclick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. Welcome back, and more importantly, to the first episode in our special CRO mini-series. For those unfamiliar, CRO is conversion rate optimization, a crucial yet often misunderstood aspect of e-commerce and digital marketing. Today, I'm honoured to kick off this series with Matt Skaysbrook, the founder and director of optimization at We Teach CRO. Matt is an industry leader who specialises in demystifying the world of CRO. We've had a bunch of great chats over LinkedIn, so I'm really excited to explore what CRO means to him, how brands can initiate their own programmes, how to justify the ROI on these investments, and ways to keep evolving a CRO strategy as it matures. Without further ado, let's dive right in with Matt. Hi, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Would you mind just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah, a bit of your kind of background, what you're up to and how you've got to where you are. Uh, yeah, so I'm Matt Skaysbrook. I'm Director of Optimization at We Teach CRO. We're a specialist CRO agency. Been going for about six and a half years or so now. Some of our clients, Nando's, GoDaddy, Twinings, big issue, hopefully some ones that that you've heard of and a lot that you probably haven't. My background, so I spent time consulting on CRO for, for Oracle and for Web Trends before that. Prior to that, it was all client-side stuff, so Betfair, BT, Compare the Market. I was one of those people that once I got into agency world, I realized that was where I belonged. <laughs> and it was never a great it was never a great corporate employee, to be honest, as described by one former manager that I wanted to do too much and I wanted to do it too fast. And that he always expected me to end up end up agency side. So here I am. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of a similar thing. I started in startups, and then when I went from startups to a much bigger company, there was clearly a this, this doesn't work for me. I want speed. I want to. We've got a good idea. Everyone agrees it's a good idea. Let's get it done. Yeah. And there it was. It's a great idea. It can go into the roadmap in six months. Yeah, one one of the mm. one of the best tests I ever ran as a as as a client side employee, I actually had to. I came up with it. I think it was probably day four or five. I even built a little prototype HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Like I built one so I could show what I wanted to do. They, I pitched it in, and basically the head of department was like, "Yeah, no, we're not going to do it." <laughs> basically, so I went to the strategic digital agency that we had and I pitched them the idea they thought it was great and I said okay I need you to pitch it adjust it do whatever you need to do to make it look like yours but I I want you to pitch it at the next we used to meet there on a Friday morning every week and I asked them to pitch it as theirs and they did and funnily enough it got approved it still took ages to it still took ages to to run I'd actually left the company by the time that the test by the time the test went live which is about six seven months later but I got a friend of mine to let me know how it did and I can tell you that the, the cumulative impact was millions. But it was just a lesson for me at that point in time to, it isn't always, it isn't always about the quality of the idea. It is about the credibility that, that sits behind that. And some of that comes from the person or people who are pitching it. I was 23 and I'd been in the business for four days or whatever it was. The people they would trust who, who then pitched it for me they were the strategic digital agency with decades of experience and suddenly like them backing it, presenting it as their own, suddenly now it, it has it has credibility. So yeah, it was a useful lesson to learn in the early 20s. I, I think, I know we need to get into the CRO piece, but I, I think that's 
one of the one of the things that pushed me into agency as well, starting my own agency. Just the number of times when ideas would be like, yeah, that's cool, but you know, it's not something we want to do right now or, or whatever, or just plain being shut down. But then the agency, no matter what they said, it was, yep, yeah, cool. Yeah. You're the experts. You know what you're doing. I'm like, well, you've hired me to do this job for a reason, but you're telling me that the agency is more important. So I was like, well, in that case, I need yeah, to yeah. extend I need party. to change the label. Because like, that's all it is, right? Yeah. When you move from one side to the other, it's just a label that you've changed, but suddenly it, it's a difference. It can be a difference maker, but yeah. It's, unfortunately, everything doesn't run on logic, right? Like it's not a, it's not always, it's a, emotionally how people feel, why, who they believe in and who they don't. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that belief, all the logic in the world won't help. That emotion is massively important. Absolutely. So let's go, we'll, we'll dive into the main topic, which is CRO. What is CRO to you? question to me it is one of the best ways if not the best way of making decisions they're not perfect and it's not a it's not a perfect execution but it's distinctly better than most others for working out what you should do what you shouldn't do and critically to learn about the people that you're trying to influence whether that's people you're trying to sell to or people you're trying to get through or through a, a purchase process or a sign up process whatever it is your every marketing discipline relies on understanding the people that you're that you're trying to serve in the end and being able to analyze the patterns of behavior that come from different experiences that you put in front of people is one of the best ways of working out what the what those people do and don't like and therefore what you do or don't need to need to provide for them yeah it's yeah it's just learning what people react to and I, I think crucially, like learning how big an impact that is as well. If you run a test and you get a 2% improvement in conversion or just change in conversion rate, okay, some people have been affected by that. I guess for, for big companies, that's a lot of money still. But it's very different if you get a 10% change in that number because then you know that's this is something that really hits hard with them. This is important to I, them. I think it's worth noting on that. Whatever that percentage is, call it the global percentage, There's always a that's always actually lower than the impact that you've had on some people. So I, I've seen this with post-test segmentation that, that you do. So I'll give a, a basic example. So the global uplift 2%. Within every single test that you run, there will be segments of visitors who overperform that average and ones that underperform it. Like, it's not a two percent. It's not two percent across the board, and it never will yeah. be. Which means that for some people, that might have been four percent. It might have been ten. It might have been twenty. For all you know. So one of the things I learned, this was something I learned quite early on. Lucky having some good having some good coaches, some good teachers in in my time was if you only ever looked at that average, you were probably missing something. But you dig in traffic dependent, obviously. But you dig in, and you go, okay, well. If they were a new customer or a new visit, that was 10%. But that means that if they were returning, they actually had a negative impact and that was minus 6% or whatever it is like, oh, okay. So now what have we learned? <laughs> like, what, how, yeah. why is that working for one and not the other? Which means you can also bank that 10% and your next test then tries to offset, at the very least offset the the 6% decrease that you had in the, you had in the upper place. So yeah, it, I think that's part of the fun of this for me. It's just, it's a giant puzzle. Right, it's just, and you don't have you have all the pieces. Your job is to try and gather as many of the pieces as you can and slot them in the right places for the time that you've got. 
And then over time, someone moves those pieces around and changes the picture that you've got to work with. I think it's, it's like using one of those. I saw someone, someone did a, a puzzle, which was they were either all transparent or just all blank or something like that. So it was like a thousand piece puzzle. Yeah. There was no pattern to put together. You just had to put the blocks in the right place. So it's even harder because you can't even, I mean, it's all right. It's a key thing for CRO, right? You can't just look at a website and go, okay, that's the missing piece. No. That's yeah, wrong. No. I wish I could. I'd be out of retire. I wouldn't be here. I'd yeah. have retired uh, by now. Yeah, we would. We'd all be running Apple-sized businesses, wouldn't yeah. we? So, how can how does CRO get customers clicking? I I struggle with the term CRO or any term to describe what it is that we do because as soon as you say it, yeah. people get a they get an impression whether they know the discipline well or not, and a lot don't. It immediately puts pictures in people's minds about what that is so what's well, abt yes, or it's or it's changing it's tweaking around the edges uh it's not in depth or oh we tried that in 2015 and it didn't work actually i've got a webinar to do on the, which covers some of those subjects next month but yeah i think its purpose its principle is understanding who you are trying to deal with and what they and what they like is basically a giant survey a b testing is one of the ways that you fill that that you can fill that survey in unlike it's like a voting thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like essentially customers are voting yeah. on which experience they prefer. And, and unlike other other survey methods or user testing, people know that they're being tested. And so the question I always have is if I ask in a survey, why did you do this? Or why don't you like that? Or how did this go? I'm always thinking, did you give me the answer that you thought you should get rather than the one that you actually, that you actually you know in yourself believe that i've spent enough time thinking about my own motivations for doing certain things to realize that i kid myself a lot <laughs> um, you know yeah. why do you do that oh because it's the right thing to do and actually it's oh well because it's the most profitable thing to do or it's the most enjoyable thing to do often is the reason you do it so i think that's where the a b testing part comes in it gives you an opportunity to if you want to call it survey people en masse without them knowing that they're being surveyed and therefore the answer that they give isn't it isn't biased by their interpretation of the question um it's just what they would do they've seen thousands tens of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of these tests they just never know uh, that they've seen them which reminds me of a point i don't want to get, dig into too much because it's because we haven't got that long <laughs> but we haven't got that long one of the reasons i talk about for why you should never copy your competitors or just or just copy another website really is well, partly you don't know if they have tested. Partly you don't know if they are tested. Yeah. You could literally be seeing the test version, which isn't performing. Yeah. And you've just gone, that's a really cool feature on their website. We'll have that. The, the people often look at pages and go, what should we do with this page? Or what should we do with this page? And the bit they're missing is what happened before that page? What happened after that page? There might be a linear, that might be a linear process, or it might be like a cartwheel. Like, so here's the page you're looking at changing in the middle. And here is the 17,000 other ways that somebody could enter that page. So just looking at it page by page like that, and like you said, copying what somebody else did, well, that might be completely incongruous with what comes before and what comes after in your in your process, in your business, in your site. And so, yeah, lifting and shifting it out of somewhere else, not only do you not know, I've, I've heard people say things like, oh, well, if they do it, it must work. Like, why? Like, I've, as you have, worked in, sizable businesses and for a fact that some of the things that they do are crackers like there's no 
basis for it. It's only they've only done it someone that way. Had, That's why they do it. Someone has decided <laughs> this should be the change. This is how our website should yeah. work. Um, we should offer this payment method, or we shouldn't offer this payment method, or whatever. And it, bigger companies you work for, did you say BWIN or Betfair? Betfair. Betfair. I was in gambling as well, right? I know the impact legal teams and compliance teams have on web development. And then there's someone like me sitting on the sides going, yeah, yeah, but does it have to be done like that? Or can we do it in this more user-friendly way, which still gets the point across? Yeah, yeah never, never take the first answer thing. from compliance. <laughs> yeah. Once you reason with them and you, and you explain why you want to do something, they go, oh, yeah, do you know what? If you do it in that method, it is compliant. But, you know, this was... We were basically changing up the the welcome offer for this brand we worked with. We were going to do free spins and free bingo tickets instead of the normal like two hundred percent deposit bonuses. And as part of that, we we offered people the choice: you could pick free spins or bingo tickets. And compliance said, because of GDPR and all that, there had to be a specific opt-in, right, to the offer. So, well, GDPR. It, Part influenced by GDPR, part the new gambling yeah, regulations. Yeah, so no, know your customer regs we need and stuff. Like that. Specific opt-in to the offer, and so the initial design that compliance kind of led on, I suppose, that <laughs> well, involved a, spe- a specific opt-in. Yeah. Right. So you had the little banner for the offer, and then you had the button which said "opt-in for this offer," and then the button at the below which would say "continue" yeah. or "next next stage." And I said, "Well." Why do we need the opt-in button? Why not just have them click on the banner of the offer they want? That's it's still their yeah. opt-in because they're clicking still a positive action, the offer isn't it? An affirmative, yes, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, and I mean this wasn't tested because we couldn't test on that. So, but I just kind of pushed it through, and I was like, well, why do we need the additional click? Just going on that basis of it's an additional click yeah. that someone is going to have to, and also I suppose it feels like a bit more of a commitment at that stage where they're clicking that little button which said, yes, I want this, then moving forwards. Whereas I was just asking them to click a banner yeah. for the offer. But anyway, <laughs> how'd you get started? Right? How'd you get past that first hurdle and actually get started with a CRO program? <laughs> so again, there's a, as I said, there's a webinar that I've got lined up for October that covers this. Because for me, the, the first step isn't, isn't your first test. It's not how you, it's not the hypothesis that you come up with or the research that you do or the data that you look at. It's looking at who do you need on board to allow you to do this. All right, you might be the CEO of the business, but for most people, they have got at least someone that they answer to, someone that they're going to have to convince about this. So me, for me, the first hurdle is explaining the value in principle of what you want to do, explaining that left, left untouched, every website declines in performance over time like that. It's just a fact. Today. If you want to prove it to people, go and show them a BBC website from 1997. You can't really use it now. I've tried using it on my phone just for fun. You can't. That that is a that as a principle, you can get people to agree to that. Websites borderline in performance over time. Right, we're agreeing. Um, so what that means, if you can accept that website declines without being touched, it declines by default. What it means is you need a constant state of improvement in order to counteract the constant state of decline. That will only keep you level, but that's where that's what you need to do first off. And again, if you can land that as a point, I mean, it's logic. One follows the other, right? That is 
that you need constant improvement, constant change in order to at least offset that that piece. Okay, another point of of agreement there. The next bit is usually a accepting that changes that we make aren't always positive. And you can have a bit of fun with that part as well, because you can have a laugh about some of the changes that you've done in the business that tanked horribly like in the past. And every business has got them. If you don't know any from your own business or you haven't been there that long, you can roll out examples of, of things. There's a great one from Snapchat from 2018, maybe. They redesigned the entire app without any testing whatsoever. And it knocks a number of billions off their market cap and about a million of their users signed a petition to get them to put it back. I think I would need to confirm which brand it is. I have a feeling it's either B&Q or M&S. Yeah. I think it's one of those spent like 50 million redesigning their website and performance tech. Yeah. Because they just rebuilt the website. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, quite. I mean, like I say, you go, you can go hunting for these things, and there, there are there are examples everywhere. But at that, if you can land that point of look at some of the things that we've done and it didn't go so well, did it? You can get people to recognise that change isn't always changes that they make, decisions that they've made aren't always good ones. But I, I suppose if, even if you can't find that information from their their website, you can probably look at other tests they've done because every everyone's always testing their ads. Right, so you so. can say, look, there's a, re- <laughs> there's a reason you test yeah. the ad. You're, yeah, you'd hope so. There's a reason you test your ads. You can see that some of your ads perform worse than others. Same thing applies to your website. Yeah. But you actually gave an example on LinkedIn back in August. I think it was it was a graph you did where you said... The, you're talking about I, the control so graph, aren't you? Where you don't put a control in. You didn't know whether your... You, it looks like performance goes up when you look before and after... But what you don't know is if you hadn't have introduced that change, your control experience, the original one, would have performed even better over the same time frame. Yeah. yeah and, and I think the really important thing is when a lot of us talk about testing, we say you don't know whether your test is going to, what your change is going to have a positive or negative impact. Yeah. But actually, you made the really good point that it might look like you have had a positive impact making this change. But what you don't know is your performance could have been. 20% higher had you not touched that. And that's just keeping so, yeah, it looks control like you've done group, well. isn't it, for anything? It's the same reason yeah. why they, in in medical uh, trials, they give people a placebo. They need to know whether you, yeah. whether they're, it is the drug that's having the impact or whether it's the fact that you believe you're taking one that's that's having the that's having the impact. But yeah, the, the, the principle around it is just making sure that people can recognise that change isn't inherently good. With all, with all the best planning in the world and all the best research in the world, when you put it out into the wild, you just don't know how people are, are going to react to that when they're being asked to vote with their with their own money. And so it's at, at that point, if you can land that stage, it's then like, so if we test some of the big changes that we wanna that we wanna make, it gives us the ability to to offset some of the risk of doing those things without 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 compromising our desire to continue to improve as we as we go so yeah to answer the question shortly i think the first hurdle is convincing people that running tests is a good way of enhancing the the business that they run and as i mentioned earlier around the labels thing when i talk about that i try not 
to say CRO or experimentation or anything like that because it immediately sparks in people's minds their view of what that word means and almost without fail their perception of it is uh, best incomplete and so you're then battling things that you shouldn't have to battle (laughs) just because you chose to use a, a, a phrase like that yeah i mean i think well i said it earlier like vast majority of people would assume you mean a b testing i mean the number of posts i see on linkedin which say you shouldn't be touching cro until you're doing 10 million a year yeah it's like well no because that doesn't make any sense that's like saying you're not going to listen to your customers or do any research or take a scientific approach to improving your business you're just going to keep throwing money at ads until you hit 10 million and then yeah you bring yeah if you ever get there using that method yeah Yeah, I think that the arguments around the statistic side and power and the rest of it, I understand the point. I just don't agree with it. I accept that. I understand that that it matters to some extent, but it doesn't prove anything. No test that you run proves anything, right? It gives you an indication of the scale of risk that you may be taking by doing one thing or another. And telling people that i can't remember what the statistic is something like 98 percent of websites or 99 percent of websites can't run tests up to the appropriate statistical power oh, I, yeah. I can't remember what the exact thing is probably because i discarded it from my mind at the time when i read it but what so but my opinion is even if your test is underpowered and you've got you've only got let's call it 80 percent confidence in something being better than not is that better than not testing it at all in my opinion, it is. I'd rather have some indication of how something might perform than no indication. And therefore, hitting a particular confidence level, it's again, it's only an indication. It doesn't de-risk the process entirely. But the most risky way of handling any of it is to just blast it out there and hope for the best. Like, And that, that for me is why I struggle with this Oh, you have to have you have to ha- hit exactly these measures or at this this strength because all it tells people is if you can't do that, there's no point. Which is uh, not, in my opinion, that's not the right message. Yeah, it's still better. It's still better than not having a clue, mm. and just and not even having a clue about the potential impact of a change. Yeah, because that's all it ever, ever is, right? It is a view on what the potential impact of doing this thing is viewed over a specific period of time it's not perfect it just gives you more than not looking at it at all so how would you bear that in mind that i guess like how how do you justify the investment in a program yeah i think the first point is how much do you not know already and what's that costing you and the answer is you haven't got a clue you you don't know i don't know and we never will from this point because that stuff's gone in there i think what one thing that I've tried to that I've tried to do through my work and the content that I produce is to get people to understand why the approach, the idea of testing and looking for validation of ideas, I, I've tried to push why that side matters, regardless of how big or small your organization might be. Because when you get into a conversation with somebody about should you be doing this you don't really want to be at the stage where you're trying to convince them that testing itself is a good idea because how long have you got 
like honestly like as a as someone who who runs a, a CRO agency as well like do you think you've got enough time in your week to convince enough people of that and then be able to talk to them about what the the specific value might be to them i look at it as you need people to understand prince the principle and 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 value and then you can start talking about okay what what the value what the the return on investment might be for them for most people they're going to look at that in in pounds and pence are there other values to what we do yes but if you want a business to invest in something it's going to put pounds and pence in it expects and should expect an indication of pounds and pence out on the other side that for me is what the the essence of businesses if they weren't there to make money they wouldn't be businesses they would be charities or even they need to make money as well through that process so i think often that first discussion is going to be is it realistic that they could see a return on what they put in and then it's getting them to understand that it's not just about okay well conversion rate increased by this or average order value increased by this and therefore that could have a value of this or over the period of the test we saw an increase in value of x it's about saying okay what did we learn through that process what do we now know what do we now think we know about your customers, your visitors, your users, whatever it might be that we didn't know before? Where else can you apply that? That sits outside of, as CRO agencies, that sits outside of our remit a lot of the time. We're not, we can't make somebody put that into practice in, in other parts of their business, but we can tell them that they can. We can try to encourage the sharing of that, of that learning, of, the, of effectively the research that we've done. We can encourage that to be shared into an acquisition marketing team or retention marketing team, customer service teams. And I think that's where, and I know this is something we were going to talk about, I'll kind of leap it ahead, but that's where a program starts to evolve into something that is less about a website and more about a business, where you start bringing those other areas that aren't directly related to the website and you start bringing them in. Yeah, I mean, I found that, quite a, a key way of working with a client is to run some tests show them these tests are worth money to them get and that helps get buy-in at those initial stages and then we start moving into that right where else can CRO help you so with one brand we helped redesign their their product label because from customer feedback and through interviews through surveys through customer service even through reviews I think People hated the way their label worked because it was reheating instructions on a on a, on right. a food product, and it you had to scan a QR code which took you to the PDP, where there was a small tab at the bottom with the heating instructions. But one of the biggest complaints, apart from that just being a little bit awkward, was that if someone was trying to reheat multiple dishes, that became a nightmare because when you're on a phone. It's just awkward switching yeah, between. Yeah, you guys tabs. see one. At, yeah, it's so much more awkward than on a laptop or something. So that was a key pain point for them. So we got that redesigned. We there's still load. There's still a QR code. There's still loads of information behind the QR code. But the key information that someone wants on the product label, which is I think we put allergens on there as well. But the key thing is, how do you reheat yeah. the thing? Now that I've got it, you, like you sold me on the product. I don't need to know. Not as much anymore, the allergens, the ingredients and stuff like that. I just need to know how I consume the product and use it. And I feel like a lot of brands 
skip that bit. Yeah, I, I, I always think that the, the money side of things is a short-term convincer. It, it might be, it, it probably is the thing that you need to, to get something moving, to get somebody to give you the opportunity to prove what that wider, what that wider value piece is. But the, the money alone doesn't, won't win you, it won't win you long-term support because they can make money from other stuff as well. Yeah. So they can make money from acquiring more customers through by putting, putting more money behind ad spend. They might get it by reducing the churn of their, of their existing customers by putting more into retention marketing. But if you only talk about money, you become a channel, you become something that is a substitute product. Whereas what you want to get across is that there is pretty much no other way. There is no other way to, to get what you do out. Where else in the business are you able to see in pretty much in real time how people are reacting to different experiences? How, who else is putting hours, days, weeks into the research and the understanding of the customers that you have? And the answer to that, even in big organizations, is no one most of the time. It just isn't yeah. being it isn't being done. And if it is, it's either small scale or it's so slow that by the time something comes through, it's too late to actually make a difference of it. So yeah, I think that's I money and the and a direct return on investment is often the it's one of the first gates that you've got to get through. It's a proof point if you want longevity in it and for those of us who believe in the process that is what we want um you have to be you have to make sure that your program doesn't have a substitute that there isn't it isn't just oh well, this makes money because something else will do that in future you've got to look you've yeah. got to look bigger than that and a, and a lot of the time it's a lot more concrete like when you run ads you see money yeah. um yeah and as soon as you turn them off you don't. Yeah. Well, yeah, not from the channel yeah. anyway. So, yeah, I mean, like, how do you improve that that CRO program then? Is it just that case of developing into, we're running some tests on your website, but we're also taking those learnings, taking the research and helping you improve everything? I guess there's a big, it's a big job, I'd say, is the first thing. It's not easy to do that because it's about communication and it's about the consistency of that also about the way that you are designing your tests and getting across okay well when we run this we aren't just we're not just looking to increase this thing we've also got these measures in here because we want to track the impact on call it they're unimportant for this test but they are important for what we might want to do in two or three months time or two or three weeks time so i think the first bit is making sure that what you're doing is a program and it's not a series of discrete tests it's not run this one win loss bin it win run this one win loss bin it like it is run this how's that then feeding so if that's test one are the results and the insights from that are they then feeding test three or test four further down the line how's that looking thematically have you got three themes that you're testing against or testing within and are those then like i said they're taking learnings from one bit and then it's looping forwards into other things who else in what other departments would also use those same themes, would also require those things. And because what you're learning about are people, the people are relevant to every part of the business that you're in, because without them, you don't have one. 
so it, it, there is always a place where it is there's always a place where it, that information what you learn about human behavior is useful um, there will always be other places for that i think the trick as it were to cracking that improvement is how well do you communicate that how are you getting yeah. that across are you writing an analysis document firing it off on a pdf and then ignoring it forever probably not going to get much cut through if you do that a lot of it will come in across in the way that you talk about what you found like do you get excited about the things that you learn in the tests that you do if you do chances are when you present that bag that's going to come across (laughs) that it is that is genuinely interesting and for people like you and i like it is right when you look into that oh (laughs) and i i think this kind of comes back to what you were mentioning about it it can seem like a channel at times if you purely just report on a test and say this test did x percent increase conversion rate what we reckon it's worth fifty thousand dollars to you done yeah moving on it's okay cool great and it's it's, i guess it's something i talk about as well a lot right reporting it's reporting right nobody cares about reporting doesn't add that word that word banned in my agency it's the analysis, it's the learnings, right? So end of every test, what do we learn from this? How does it relate to our hypothesis? And, and what do we think are the next steps from here, apart from just implementation or yeah. not? Yeah, it's, it's, we call it DIR in my agency. It's data insight recommendation. So yeah, the, the data in and of itself has no purpose unless you're going to do something with it. So the inside bit is saying, okay, why do we think that pattern of data exists and then the recommendation takes that insight and says okay now that we know that what can we do with it what forward action can we take because the value for the business is not in knowing the things it's doing something with what you know because if you never do like action is what creates value right it's not it's not sitting around in a room talking about the the spreadsheet it's about the actions that you then go and take off the back of off the back of that do you know what? It's another, it's just another thing I hated about some jobs I was in. I remember in one, one job, I kid you not, I had to fill in a, an, a Google sheet of about, I reckon about 10 to 15 metrics on a daily basis. Just put them in the spreadsheet. Yeah. I've been there. And that was it. And it was like, okay, our traffic is up this week or, or today. So what? Yeah, conversion rates, this number, this many people registered, this many people made their first booking or whatever. It's like, well, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. 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 That really frustrated me. (laughs) And and yeah, it's easy not to do that with CRO because CRO starts with what we're trying to learn and what are we trying to do here. And so then it ends with, well, it doesn't really end, but, you know, the kind of final closing of the loop to, to restart the same loop again. Yeah, and, and where do we go with from here? What do you think is the number one mistake brands make when they try CRO on their own? They don't start at all. It's probably the biggest one. <laughs> all right, uh, let's, if we move there, it, yeah, we'll, we'll push those guys to one side for a minute. I think the probably the biggest one is not understanding the resources involved in doing it properly. And I, I know you and I have talked about this previously, like. You don't need, I'm not even sure I can get, if I can quote you here, because you get this oh. much better than me. It's You don't need a full-time person doing part-time CRO. You need a part-time CRO doing, 
Oh, I don't know. But it's the yeah. It was. Go on. Quote yourself. Yeah, you don't need. You, you don't need a full time person who does a bit of CRO. Yeah. You need full time CROs who are doing a bit of. Yes, you. that's the one. Yeah. Except that doesn't flow as. I'm pretty sure that's not what I said. Yeah. Because it didn't flow quite as well. But yeah, essentially, someone who does like an hour a week of CRO isn't going to get you anywhere. Whereas someone who lives and breathes CRO all day every day and does an hour of work for you is going to have so yeah. much more impact. Yeah, and I think. So even in in a week, I probably talk to I don't know five five people around who for whom CRO isn't something they're currently doing. And that that might be that might be clients client side businesses, or it might be agency side businesses who are thinking about adding CRO into their into their mix. And surprises them most on average is the level of effort and the different skill sets. They're required. I actually had someone say to me earlier this week, ah, yes, I hadn't considered the dev effort. I was like, yeah, someone's got to build it, pal. And yes, so people get kind of lured in with this idea that, oh, well, you can spin up a tool and you'll have, you'll be able to make changes visually and, and then they do it. And that, but because of that technical limitation, they're only tinkering around the edges. So they're making small changes and they're getting minimal, if any, impacts to them. And then they're thinking, we doing something wrong i mean yeah you are but you know it's not their fault it's kind of well, it's almost like a marketing thing where it's been lured in with this idea that just tinkering changing the text of this button is going to make a massive difference yeah that, that's where the whole oh we tried a bit of cro it doesn't work yeah. for us that's where that comes yeah. from cro can't it can't not work for you yeah <laughs> like it's because it's all about learning yeah it's and, and that but again that bit is not the bit that is is prioritized I was once told in in a previous job, this client side, so everything in the interview process that I had was about my ability to analyze and enhance user journeys, which was the, the phrase that they used for it. And when I got into the role, I handled a lot of bullshit change, did a lot of what you were talking about earlier, like updating spreadsheets with numbers that no one cared about or ever read, but certainly didn't do anything with them either. And I asked I basically said, oh, I can't do these things today because I am I need to work on this test, which is the thing that I want to move forward. And, and my boss was like, oh, no, you can't do that. You need to do these bullshit change things. And the quote they then said to me, you need to, you'll just have to find time to, to run tests. And I was like, so this entire interview process was about my ability to do that, basically, and my knowledge and my, what I'd done in the past and other places. And then when I get into the job, it was like, yeah, you're going to have to find time to do that. So basically, I'd become at that stage what you are saying that I that you don't want to be. I'd become the person who did a little bit of CRO as part of their job, where I could wedge it in, or where I could get away with not doing another shit that I didn't want to do. I told you I wasn't a good employee, didn't I? Yeah, I, that was what I had to. That was what I had to do. So I, I've seen that firsthand. It's not a it's not a myth. It's not just a, a pithy quote. I mean, it is a pithy quote. Well done, but yeah, it's not just that. I have seen it on the ground, and I think that it leads to that point that you said, where people say we tried that, it didn't work. It's like, but what did you do? What did you really do? Did you give somebody the time that they needed to do that properly? The resources that they needed to do that to do that properly. It's like saying, oh, well, we tried to build a house, but we gave one bloke half an hour and a stick. Like, okay, yeah, funnily enough, he didn't build a house, did he? Like, it can't be done that way. Yeah. Yeah, you need an entire team, right? 
yeah. they're like trying to build a house without an electric yeah 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 it's like no, you've built a shack within within that yeah and i think that there is a lot of- well sorry just continued on that it i guess the way i see it happen which is normally a digital manager or an e-commerce yeah. manager is given that task that's essentially like hiring an architect and expect them expecting a house to be built yeah, yeah. right they don't they can't do the bits yeah. the the execution bits really they yeah they put the strategy those in place. parts is a specialist is a specialist role and there's i've seen various different discussions from people about what they think that the minimum team is for me you need someone who can who can plan a test who can understand what you're doing it for and design the the outcomes that you want to get from it and how you're going to and how you're going to measure those test design for me is less about what it looks like and more about how the how the whole test is put together yeah. understanding when is somebody going to enter that test so at what point am i going to start tracking interactions it, at that point has somebody seen that change or not so if you trigger it on page load but the change that you're making is below the fold on mobile for example we don't want to enter somebody into that test as soon as they load the page you need to enter them into the test when they see the change otherwise you're tracking people who have seen it versus people who haven't <laughs> and that then doesn't become fair so you're some, somebody who can do that part and then analyze the the outcome of it you need somebody who can who can build the test and i'd love to say that you can build great tests with wissywig as editors and no code you can't really you can build some like but they're a bit half-assed um yeah super basic yeah and tests and even then and therein lies the problem though right if you don't want to if you want to have a meaningful uh, and identifiable impact you're going to have to make a change that reflects that it's basic cause and cause and effect was it newton every action there is an equal and opposite reaction yeah so if you do something that changes it like by that much well the impact you're going to have is only that big if you change something by that much you've got a chance of having that bigger impact and that usually means that you need somebody with the technical skills necessary to make those changes and not break everything and for me i i like and prefer a qa someone whose job specialist job it is to check that what's been built matches spec and isn't going to blow anything up when it goes live i know not everyone agrees with that point by the way and they think you can just someone to look over it is fine or a dev to review it is fine oh, i like I mean, qa myself the, we just we tend to get a few people involved yeah. rather than one specific person so you get a few different eyes on it obviously yeah we, i don't like a dev doing it because or sorry the dev no, doing it don't mark your own yeah it's like well no of course it works <laughs> and they'll do a quick check rubber whatever. stamps it past yeah of course it works i built yeah. it so yeah just having a f- couple of other people check over it different devices screen sizes play around with it make sure it does what you're expecting it to do and it doesn't break anything yeah that's linked to it yeah i mean for in in my agency the the consultant will is the first one who checks it they're looking at it visually and functionally basically does it do what they requested in the test plan for it the qa will then go through and do all of the device browser combinations that we've set that test up for they're professional breakers of tests. If it can be broken, they'll yeah, find a way. That's pretty much you know, that, that is their job. They are the gatekeepers of quality. So what, what I've found over the years of doing this, and it's been a while now, is the number one fastest way to break a client's confidence is launch a test that breaks. 
and brings yeah. it stops a, yeah, a bit sense. of the site functioning or whatever that is like the fastest way to erode all of the the emotional cabal that you've gained so yeah i like having a, a specialist uh, qa it, it, it really helped our average quality as a team when we first did that but then once once they're done and even when they're happy it still goes to the client and still goes for them to do it's usually visual and functional checks again to them but we do have some clients who are specialists to go through again yeah most of the time they'll just they'll quickly test it on their desktop often they do a very basic check yeah exactly yeah cool and very quickly before we finish up one final CRO tip is this for people who are already doing it or who aren't it can be either because I suppose it could get something someone excited and, and doing it but just a quick like a quick tip yeah I think for me it is you don't know like this is that simple you don't know you don't have all the answers to think that you can yeah. or that you do is remarkably arrogant <laughs> to think that you do know how that's going to perform when you when you put it live I have been I've been at this for 11 years or so I have lost count of how many times I am wrong daily and that's not I like to think because I'm crap at my job that is because if you're going to push the boundaries on things and you're going to look for meaningful change you have to be willing to take a certain level of risk to do that you don't know all of the call it snowball effects that are going to happen when you move stuff when you change what that what that experience is so yeah my my bit of advice is start accepting that you don't know and that should lead you to a place to put in a process that helps to work out those things that you don't know and that's where cro that's where testing that's where research and data are your friends awesome stuff if anyone wants to reach out and find out more from you, what's the best way of doing that? Probably through LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me, send me a message, whatever it is. I spend a lot of my time talking to people. I learn a lot through that. Not just it's not just because I may have been doing this for a while doesn't mean there aren't things that, that I don't know. There is plenty that I don't. But yeah, if I can help, come and talk to me. I'll be happy to do so. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. Cheers, Paul. That wraps up our first CRO mini-series episode with the incredible Matt Skaysbrook from We Teach CRO. What we've learned today is that CRO is not a tactical approach to growing our website. It is not just A-B testing and making small changes to your website. CRO is a strategic process towards growing a business. For more of Matt's expertise or to explore We Teach CRO services, don't hesitate to contact him on LinkedIn or visit their website. As always, if you've got any feedback or questions or if there's someone else you'd really like to hear from in future episodes, drop me an email at will at customerswhoclick.com. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode in our CRO mini-series with Ruben DeBoer. We'll be exploring what you should be doing after you've run an A-B test. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.